Just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So we've been discovering over the past several weeks, in these six verses, the Apostle provides us with a concise, a very deep doctrine of the church. And it's a doctrine that is based on this concept of unity. In, in these verses, he gives us a guide for our journey to become one church with one purpose. And that purpose is to reach a community and a new generation with the timeless message of the grace and truth of Jesus Christ. And if that's our purpose, what we need to do is make sure that we're communicating that timeless message in a way that it can effectively be heard. Because as we've been talking about, just like the way we listen to music has changed, not just over the past five years, but over the past 10, 20, 30, and 40 years, the way that our changing culture hears and understands truth has changed over the past five years and 10 years and 20 years and 30 and 40 years. And so as we started our journey towards one a few weeks ago, we began that journey by answering a what question. What should we be doing if we want to have unity within our body? What should we be doing if we want to have unity of purpose? And what we found is that if we're going to have unity, we need to strive to be completely humble and gentle and patient and loving. And let's face it, even on our best days, that's an almost impossible list for us to succeed at. And so we recognize that if we were going to do that, we were going to need some help. And so we began to ask a series of other questions. And the next question we answered after what was why? Because when we understand why we need to do something, it makes the what a little bit easier. And what we discovered that the reason we need to be loving and gentle and patient, um, loving, gentle, patient, humble, thank you. <laughs> Still one of those weeks, I'm sorry. Um, it's because we are one body. That's why. But what we recognize is that the why wasn't even quite enough. It helped, but it wouldn't in and of itself be enough. Because we still, even understanding the why, can't do it ourselves. So then we asked another question. We said, how? How exactly are we going to do this? And what we discovered is that the only way we will do this is if we allow the power of the Holy Spirit to work through us. And so for the past three weeks, what we've been doing is we've been digging in deeper and deeper to this idea of unity. But today, as we continue our journey towards one, we actually need to take a step back to make sure that we haven't lost sight of where we're going. We need to shift our focus away from what's right in front of us, from these behaviors that the Holy Spirit is trying to build within us, these behaviors of how we should act with each other, and we need to take a step back and look for a little bit into the future to make sure that we have the car pointed in the right direction. 
So a few years ago, the first time we went out to the West Coast to visit my sister-in-law, who had moved to Washington State, one afternoon, Deb, Mike, and I were going to go down to downtown Seattle. And I thought, this is going to be easy. Seattle is by the water. I know how to get to the water. You get to the water by getting on the highway, and you go east. <laughs> yeah, you guys are in there. So we got on the highway, and we went east. And we drove, and we drove, and finally, I looked up at the horizon, and I saw mountains. And I thought, I'm not going the right way. And so we turned around and we back. But what we see in that is, while we've answered the what question, we've answered the why question, we recognize how we're supposed to do it. If we're not focused in the right direction, we're not going to get to where we're going. And so we get to this clause in the statement to answer this because, or what's the reason we have to do this? And the reason we do this, the thing that will focus us into the future, is the fact that we have one hope. And this is one of the key purposes of Paul writing his letter to the Ephesians, is to make sure that they are focused on the right thing. He wants them to build unity in their body, but he wants them to be focused in the right direction. So their unity is being used for the right purposes. And he starts the letter in chapter 1 with this beautiful prayer that gives focus to this exact idea. He says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us to believe. That last sentence is the purpose. It's the refrain we sang at the very beginning of the service. Great is thy faithfulness, strength for today, right? That's his great power. And hope for tomorrow. That's his glorious inheritance. The Ephesians needed to understand this, and we need to understand this. Because if we don't have a clear understanding of where our hope lies, we will lose focus and we will lose unity. And so this was Paul's prayer for them, and it's his prayer for us throughout the generations. As we seek to understand our one hope and apply it to our situations, we need to recognize that these one statements are not a bunch of unrelated truths. It's actually a logical progression that the apostle is moving us through. And we learned this from my friends Gus and Reggie last week. It begins by the fact that we're one body. We're right? get all the parts put together. Right? Hands and arms to connect it to our shoulders and our torsos and our legs. But just because they're one body doesn't make them effective. Because they're not filled with the Spirit. Because the Spirit is what convicts us of our sin. It converts us and makes us new through the power of Christ. And then he adopts us into the family. And once he adopts us, then we begin to develop a family resemblance as he develops the fruit of the Spirit in us and gives us 
we begin to develop a unity of mind and a unity of purpose. But that unity of mind and purpose needs to be focused. And it's focused by what our ultimate hope is. The apostle adds on hope to one body and one spirit because it's the logical progression of how we're supposed to function. And it's the logical progression because what we have to recognize is we sort of live in this interim state. We've been redeemed. The spirit is developing us. But it's really like a down payment on the future glory that we will have. That is our hope. Our hope is the future glory. Our hope is not found here. Our hope is found someplace else. The church is not an end in and of itself. The church is an instrument that God is using during this age to call a people to himself. And that's our purpose. Our purpose is to be part of God's calling. Our purpose is to call our community, a new generation, towards God. He's preparing us as a body to be used. He's preparing us for a future hope and a future glory. And we've gotten the first taste of His goodness. That's what the Spirit's given us. It's like payments that continue to be made on a mortgage. But there's a balloon payment at the end where we're going to find the payoff. And so as we seek to be part of one body with one spirit, we have to recognize that we have one hope. We can't have different hopes. We can't be trying to drive the car into different directions. And we're never going to get anywhere. So let's stop and ask a question. And I want you to Answer this reflexively. You don't think about it too much. And you don't have to answer out loud, or I'm sure you could if you'd love to. But if I ask this question, what's the first thing that pops into your mind? What do you hope for? So this week, I conducted a completely unscientific study on this topic. And I asked a bunch of people this question. And if you're like those people I talked to and asked this question, my guess is, what popped into your mind when I asked that was something along the lines of, I'd like a long and satisfactory life. I'd like good health. I'd like to have success at my job, or I'd like my kids to have success. I would like relationship fulfillment with my family and my friends and my coworkers. I'd like to have good test results. I'd like, frankly, an easy life. I want to retire early and enjoy I want to have peace, peace in my family, peace in the world, stability, stop the chaos and the change. And this is my personal favorite, the most spiritual answer of all. I hope I get to have dessert tonight. Specifically, I don't have a hot fudge Sunday. That would just make all of our days better, wouldn't it? But what's common about this list? What's common about this list of hopes is that this list of hopes is all earthbound. It's all physical. It's all material. And when our hopes are based on physical and material things, eventually we will become 
hopeless. Because eventually, we will be disappointed because the physical and the material will wear out. It will break. It will disappoint us. In the Old Testament, there's a man named Job. And Job, as the story goes, was righteous before God. Blameless, it even says. And he was a wealthy man. And as the story goes, Satan comes before God one day, and they have a discussion about Job. And Satan's premise is that Job's righteousness is based on the fact that he is materially wealthy. He has an easy life. And he says to God, if you let me take all of that away, he will lose his hope, and he will turn against you. And so the story progresses, and that's exactly what happens. Everything is taken away from Job. But Job never loses hope. He despairs over his circumstances. But Job never loses hope. Because Job's hope was not based on the material. Job's hope was not based on the physical. Job's hope was based on something else. This is why Paul writes to Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, our culture, in our community, are besieged by hopelessness because we place our hope in the wrong things. We're besieged by hopelessness because we place our hope in ourselves, in our capabilities, in our self-sufficiency. We place our hope in the physical and the material. Instead of placing our hope on God and the future that he's called us to, biblical hope is not, I hope I get a raise. It's not wishing for the best possible outcome. It's not, let's see how this turns out. Biblical hope is not based on feeling or emotion. Biblical hope is based on the knowledge of what God has promised in the future. Someone says to you, I hope you have a good day today. There's no guarantee that your day will be good. Right? That's not a hope. That's a wishful thinking. And it's utterly undependable and it has no power to bring anything to pass. But when we have biblical hope, when we have hope in what God has called us to, then we have an anchor for our soul. The author, the book of Hebrews, writes in Hebrews 6, 19-20, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever. In ancient Israel, in the sacrificial system, the high priest would enter the holiest of holies, the inner sanctuary, once a year to make atonement. He'd go behind what was called the veil to make atonement for the people. And when he'd go, he'd go with bells on his ankle and a rope tied around his waist in case he might die in the presence of God so they could pull him out. But we don't have that separation from God anymore. 
Because Christ, through his sacrifice on the cross, tore that veil in two. In a little while, we're going to sing this refrain. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. When darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. We won't find escape from our earthly despair and our possessions or our jobs or our families. But how can we still find hope? So when my son was born, my older son, he spent five months in the hospital. And during that time period, there was a period where we began to lose hope. Because our life was no longer the life we imagined it would be. And what we had to recognize is that our life and our hope for our life was not based on what we thought it would be. But it was based on who God was and who God's prom- what God promised. And as our journey went on, we began to grapple through that and regain our hope. I remember having a conversation with one of the other families whose child was in the bay in the Nittany, where my son was. And the conversation turned to faith and it turned to God. And they said to me, how can you still have hope despite all of this? And I said, you can still have hope because God is still God. And we can still have hope because even if God doesn't, we know that God can. We lose hope when we focus in the past. We had lost hope because we were focused on all the things we thought our life would be with our son. But once we moved our vision to the future and looked at all the promises that were still true about our son, that God had actually made, we could regain hope. When we look to the past and base our hope in the past, we will lose hope. But when we embrace a new future, we can gain hope. When we place our hope in the right things, when hope is placed in God, then we can wait patiently despite what our circumstances are. And this is what Paul writes to Romans, for this hope you were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope is not past. Hope is not present. Hope is faith directed towards the future. When the Israelites left Egypt, and they were wandering in the wilderness. They get to this point of complete discord and disharmony and disunity because they're upset about the food that they're eating. 
And they say, if only we could go back to Egypt, where we had fish and cucumbers and melons and leeks. They go forward. They lost hope because they were focused on the past. And as they focused on the past, it divided them. What they needed to do was look forward into the future of what God had promised them. What we need to do is look forward into the future that God has promised us. Because we can't let our nostalgia overcome our hope. The phrase one hope is the because statement because when we don't keep our eyes on what we've been called to, when we don't keep our eyes on what our purpose is, when we don't keep our eyes on the hope of our calling, then we will end up with divisions and distinctions and misunderstandings. The devil can't keep us from becoming Christians. Then his next line of attack is to cause damage among us and to break our unity, to distract us from the purpose that he's called us to. Seeks to rob our joy by getting us to look back instead of look forward. He seeks to break our unity by getting us to focus on our differences. Differences in culture, differences in background, differences in preferences, differences in opinions, even differences in our conditions. But to recognize is our history is an important guidepost for us to move forward. But we can't let our history stop us from moving forward. Because our history is not more important than the future that God has called us to. There is one hope. And it's the same hope for all of us. So Paul writes to the Philippians, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching towards what's next. When we focus together on where we are going, on who we have been called to reach, when we focus together on our one hope, it will bring us unity. If we focus on the past, it will divide us. But when we focus on the future, it will unite us. When we look towards what our hope is and where our hope is found, we will be united around our purposes. Instead of comparing and contrasting ourselves and our histories and our social statuses and our accomplishments and our preferences, we must look together towards the hope God is calling us to. Because when we focus on our hope, the distinctions will blend away. Because what we have to recognize is when we get to our hope, when we get to the next life, there will be no distinction among us. And so we need to work as hard as we can in humility and in gentleness and in patience and in love with one another to remove the distinctions and the divisiveness here. Because there will be no divisiveness there. There will be no distinctions. 
Our ultimate hope is found in a sinless world. And it's sin that divides us. As we continue in our journey of sanctification, as we continue to allow the one spirit work through our one body, as we continue to allow the fruit to grow in us, as we seek opportunities to use our giftedness, it should focus us on our one hope. The problem that we find ourselves in is we get consumed with ourselves and we lose the wonder of God. We lose the wonder of the hope that we've been called to. We lose the wonder of the beauty that that will be. There will be no divisions over silly things. When we finally reach our hope, there will be no despising or condemning. Our calling and the hope of our calling is to salvation and ultimately it's to Christ-like perfection. We have different backgrounds, we have different histories, we have different preferences, we have different tastes. We have different gifts, we have different ministries, we have different places of service. But we are one body with one spirit. And we've been called to one hope. And if that's true, if we believe what we say we believe, if we believe in that hope, then we should be clamoring to find effective ways to share that hope with the community that surrounds us because we would want them to have that hope too. And sometimes we have to remind ourselves of what that hope is. We've got to take our focus away from the present, take our focus away from the discomfort, and climb the mountain to be able to see the hope. So this past summer, my brother-in-law and I decided to take our kids for a hike. We wanted to hike them up a mountain so they could see the beautiful view. The problem is my son, because of his medical issues, can't hike up a mountain. And so we rigged up a system. I carried him on my back, and my brother-in-law carried his oxygen concentrator. We were tethered to each other for this entire hike. It was a really bad idea. (laughs) Really, it was. But we got there, and my son got to see the view. It was a harder hike than we anticipated. It wasn't the most comfortable hike. We would have moved much faster if we hadn't brought him with us. But he wouldn't have gotten to see the view. And that's what we have to think about. Is we seek to reach a culture that is changing, that desperately needs the hope that we have. We have to be willing to carry them up the mountain with us. Even though carrying them up the mountain with us will be painful for us. It will be harder for us than if we went by ourselves. We'll have to give up some of our preferences. We'll have to give up some of the ways we might like to do things. We might have to go a little slower. We might have to go a little faster. But when they see the hope, it's all worth it. That's what we have to do. That's right.
us. And you have united us together in Christ. And thank you for your graciousness to us. And thank you for the model of humility and gentleness and patience and love that you have given us through your Son. And I pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would make us more like him. I pray that we would not lose focus, but that you would unite us together as one body through your voice.